This is Leewood Online, a ministry of Leewood Baptist Church, located in the Kansas City area. For more information about us, visit us online at www.leewoodbaptist.com. Good morning, I'm Erica Arbuckle, and today we'll be reading from Matthew 6, 1 through 18, which can be found on page 8, 11 in your pew Bibles. So I'll give you a chance to turn to that. Matthew 6, 1 through 18. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father, who sees in secret, will reward you. And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do. For they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. And when you fast, do not look gloomy like the hypocrites, for they disfigure their faces that their fasting may be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, They have received their reward. But when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face, that your fasting may not be seen by others, but by your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. All right. Hey, it's good to see everybody. My name is Chris. If we haven't met, I'm glad that you are with us. Let me just give you a quick introduction of kind of where we are and where we're going. And I'll pray for us and we'll dive in. The main idea of this sermon is in verse 1 of this section here. It's a a warning and an invitation to a discipline of secrecy, actually. Um, I don't have ever heard a sermon on a call to hiddenness, a call to cultivate a life of hiddenness, a call to live kind of behind closed doors, not in secrets that are harmful or shameful, but in ways that you're cultivating your heart. So we're going to spend a whole sermon on that, And then Jesus gives three illustrations or examples of what that looks like, and all three of those deserve like focus and attention. So we're going to do today just kind of what is this 
discipline of hiddenness, and then we'll come back around to fasting and prayer and giving, and we'll just slow down a little bit as a church into those spaces, because how we do that really matters. But I was super excited as I studied this just to think about a call to like the long play of cultivated hearts that see God in the secret places, um, that quiet themselves against the noise of the world, that actually see the value of the hidden places of your heart mattering to God and being cultivated. Like I just was I'm hopeful, actually, for what could happen 10 years from now if we're the kind of people that cultivated um, a hiddenness with the Lord. Uh, it's an invitation for those who don't know Jesus to come into his presence. It's a, an invitation for those who do know Jesus to, to hear his voice and to, to realize that your value and your worth don't come from what you do on the outside, but from how God sees you, what he's already accomplished for you. So, so that's where we're going to focus today. Next week, we'll jump into this idea of giving, and Stephen will lead us there. And then we're going to take a three-week break from the book of Matthew. We've been working through the book and now in the Sermon on the Mount. And we're going to do a three-week series on, like, what is the church? What does it mean for us to gather? Why do we have church? And it'll be an invitation to a conversation about membership at our church, about who we are as a people, what we're trying to do. It'll answer some questions maybe you've had as you've been visiting of kind of what's important to us, where we're we trying to go. So we're going to take three weeks on Sunday morning, and we'll do a couple of different New Testament passages just talking about what is God's design for the church, and then what does that mean for this particular church. And my hope is at the end of that time, we'll do a, a Q&A dinner on a Wednesday night. I think it's August 4th is that date. Anybody who wants to kind of say, hey, I'd love to hear some more. I'd love to ask some questions about the church specifically. You'll be able to do that kind of coming out of that little series. Um, and then we'll jump into a longer series on prayer. So that's kind of where we're going. So today is about hiddenness. Next week we'll do about giving to the needy, stop for a little bit, go church, and then we'll go prayer. Just want to give you a little bit of a roadmap. I've been told it's helpful to kind of tell people where you're going rather than just crank the wheel and go there. So that's kind of where we're going if you're wondering what's happening. So let me, uh, let me just pray for us with that in mind because I'm eager for us to just sit in this idea and this invitation to cultivate a life of hiddenness. So let me just pray for us. Jesus, thank you for who you are. And thanks to the kind of God who holds the entire cosmos together and you meet with us in little closets when we pray. What must you be like that you see everything at one time, that you are everywhere at one time and you're mindful of us? And you're huge, you're massive, you're independent, you're not in need of us and yet you delight in us. I just ask God that you would help us this morning to settle into this call to engage you in the quiet, secret, hidden places. I pray that it would ignite a joy in us, a love for you in us, um, and it would like reorient us. Would it recalibrate us and reorient us in ways that we see um, the value and the call to this inner life that you've um, ordained for us? So, so I just pray for help. Um, God, where my friends are confused, where they're exhausted, where this week has been hard and heavy, would this come as water to their soul? For those who are seeking you and wonder what it's like to follow you, I pray this would shine some light on the kind of God that you are and what you're asking of us. And, and actually, it's what you've given to us, not what you're demanding of us that's such good news. So I just pray you'd answer some of their seeking-type questions. So God, would you bring comfort and correction? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Hey, as I hear myself on I have some allergy thing happening. I'm super excited. I don't sound very excited. I sound like very somber and mellow, but I'll smile a lot and raise my eyebrows so you know I'm excited about this. But um, 
I have uh, been fighting a little cough all week. Not COVID, just a little cough. Um, all right, so, so here's um, where we're going. Look in verse 1 of chapter 6. He just starts off with a warning. You see this word, beware. Jesus has been in the Sermon on the Mount, and he's, remember, talking about what the kingdom of God is. And we've been in a section where six illustrations of what it means to live out the kingdom of God as we obey the law. And not just outwardly obey the law, but have our inner hearts match the law, right? So it's not just about not murdering. It's about how you see people when it comes to anger and insults. It's not just about not committing adultery physically. It's about cultivating a love for people that wouldn't let you use them or lust after them or commodify them. That's where he's been in the law. And then kind of the same theme now, he's engaging with us at the devotional life. What does it mean to live in the kingdom of God in devotional ways, in ways that actually you relate to God in personal ways? So for the first century Jew, giving alms, prayer, and fasting would have been just regular parts of your life. It's how you engage with God, right? So this is pre-printing press. Think The vast majority of the population is illiterate. So the the idea of like a quiet time in the morning around your coffee table with a cup of coffee is not what they would do. They would give, they would pray, and they would fast. It's how they cultivated a heart for God. And Jesus says, hey, there's a way that you can do that that actually can be misplaced. And, And the warning is that you might actually do these things that are meant to help you engage in the kingdom of God and do them in such a way that actually cultivates a love or a desire for the kingdom of self. So he says, hey, beware of practicing your righteousness before people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. He kind of names three things. There's this warning there. There's an invitation to something different and a reminder of a reward. So that'll kind of be our outline. We're just going to walk through, hey, what is the warning And then what is the invitation to something different? And what's the reward that he points to? And then we'll take some time just to make some application of of how would we live this out. These three little illustrations will help us kind of fill out them. But I don't want to preach those sermons yet. We're going to spend some time down the road. But this is basically the outline. Jesus says in verse 1, kind of a summary, hey, here's, here's the warning. And what's the warning? The warning is a desire that all of us have to build a kingdom of self. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. Now, this is the kind of thing that you intuitively and experientially agree with, even if you're still sometimes intoxicated by the allure of living this out yourself. What what I mean is when you experience somebody doing things to be seen, you intuitively like push against that. There's like a residue around that that's sticky and uncomfortable. And when you're experiencing it, you're like, yeah, I don't, I don't want that. When the person's at the water cooler at work bragging about all they've done compared to what you've done. Kids, when you're in school and you tell a story about, about what your family did for summer vacation, and someone oh, says, that's nothing. We went to, boom, and it's a longer flight and a bigger hotel and more food. And it's always one up. When you experience somebody doing things in order to be seen intuitively and experientially you just like want to push away from it what's crazy is it's intoxicating when you're the one who has the microphone the idea of you sharing what you've done and who you are and what value you have so that other people might notice you that has an allure about it that Jesus wants to caution us for so so when you see it in somebody else you resist it and yet it's almost irresistible when it's you who is in the space of building this kingdom of self. 
And it's so subtle that Jesus kind of gives a 360 view. He wants to talk about what we do with our money, what we do with our mouth, and what we do with our bodies as windows into how we might try to build this kingdom of self. And, and so he says, beware of building your righteousness in front of other people. But, but let's say what he's not saying. He, he's not warning or cautioning about doing simple religious deeds. He's not concerned about legalism, like that you might pray too much or you might give too much or you might fast too much. He's not concerned about, about legalism in this moment. In fact, actually, the phrases when that mark off each of these sections, right, when you give to the needy and when you pray and when you fast, both give kind of a cadence in the text, but they also set an expectation. Jesus intends for us to live into these things. He expects us to give alms to the poor. He expects us to pray, and he expects us to fast. So the the warning is not about legalism, nor is it about being seen. He's not saying you have to always be anonymous, that you could never pray in public. You have to always just give in cash. You can't turn anything in on your taxes. You can't share with somebody an experience you've had. He's not saying the, the caution or the danger is being seen. He says the danger is doing something in order to be seen. There's a difference in between doing something and being seen doing it and doing something in order to be seen. To, to do something and be seen doing it is fine. In fact, Jesus says, remember in chapter 5, that we're supposed to be lights on a hill. We're supposed to be like salt. People are supposed to see the way that we live and give glory to God and say there must be something different about that person and the God that they worship is changing them in such a way that God gets glory through our lives. So there is a, a public living out. He's not saying keep your mouth shut in public about your faith. He's not saying never pray in spaces where someone can see you. What he's cautioning against is doing something in order to be seen. Do you see that there in the text? Beware of practicing your righteousness, not doing righteousness before other people, not not just to be seen by them, but in order to be seen by them. He's getting at the motivations of our heart, and he he calls it hypocrisy. Look in verse 2. That's when you give to the needy, and don't sound a trumpet before you do, as the hypocrites do, both in the synagogues and in the streets. So this is in religious settings and in non-religious settings. And in fact, the first century world would not have had distinctions that we have there of like your church life and your work life. They were just seen as your life. So the synagogue and the streets is where you live your life. He's saying, so don't be a hypocrite in those spaces. And hypocrites are not just people that say one thing and do another. They're people, he says, who, who do something that looks one way on the outside but has a different motive on the inside. So, so it gets a little bit tricky when Jesus starts to kind of poke around our hearts and our motives. But what he wants to say is the reason why you do what you do really matters because I'm calling you to live under the kingdom of God, but you have this ingrained desire to build the kingdom of self. And he says it actually works when you do things to be seen by people, they actually praise you. You actually get the reward. They, they actually pay back or they acknowledge you or they promote you or they respect you or they wish they were you or whatever it is. There is a small payoff to this living out our lives in order to be seen. But Jesus says it's such a limited payoff. It could actually never satisfy the deep longings of your soul. So he calls us to something much, much deeper. So there's this warning. So then what's the Invitation. The invitation is to, to live lives that practice devotion to God in secret. 
Let's be careful for a second. Normally when we hear the word secret, you might have a positive category of like keep a secret about somebody's anniversary gift or Christmas present. But normally when we think about secrets, it has this negative connotation, especially when we're talking about keeping things secret. So think about the stuff that is filled with shame for you that you would rather keep secret. So when you hear do things in secret, maybe your mind goes to, wait a second, that feels a little shady or that feels a little different. I'm actually trying to live in the light and bring confession. When we did foster care for a while, there was this whole session on talking to kids not about keeping secrets but keeping surprises. Because with sexual abuse, you don't want to have a child told, hey, this is a secret between the victim and the perpetrator that you have to keep. And if you ever tell somebody this, it's our little secret. Everything will get messed up. And so you don't talk about secrets. You talk about surprises. I had that in my mind. Maybe just this idea that Jesus says, hey, live in secret. We should just acknowledge sometimes we do that to our own detriment. There are things that we do in the shadows that actually hurt your soul rather than cultivate something in your soul. Just want to stop and name that. Jesus is not talking about things that you do that you don't want to be found out about. He's talking about things that actually you want to publicize, people seeing what you've done. And he says you should actually do those things in secret. You should find ways to hide the stuff that you want to actually be recognized for so that you actually engage with them in ways that only God can see. So, so he gives this warning, right? When you give to the needy, don't sound a big trumpet as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and streets. But instead, verse 3, when you give to the needy, don't let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, which is impossible, right? So it's a figure of speech. What he's saying is when you do something, even hide it from the esteem of yourself. Like avoid esteeming yourself in the things that you do, right? That kind of pride will get in the way of your devotion to God, he says in the first illustration. And then he says in the second one, hey, when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, right, who, who say one thing and actually have a different motive behind it. For they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and street corners that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they've got their reward already. But in verse 6, instead of that, the invitation is when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will rewards you. So if the first one is avoiding like esteeming yourself, the second one is avoid getting esteem from other people. We should ask questions like, man, do I pray my most heartfelt, earnest, elaborate prayers in public or in private? Or do you sound more amazing on a Thursday afternoon in our prayer gathering than you do at your coffee table when it's just yourself in the morning? He's saying, hey, there's a way to actually not pray to be esteemed by others. And then in verse 16, he gives this other illustration of fasting, right? It says, hey, and don't fast to look gloomy like the hypocrites. Don't, don't exaggerate how bad this is. You're disfiguring your face and, and fasting in order to be seen by others. Truly, I say to you, you've got your reward. If what you want to be seen as somebody who sacrifices, then when somebody notices your sacrifice, that's it. You have that reward. Verse 17, but when you fast, anoint your head and wash your face that your fasting may be seen by others, that, that they not be seen by others, but by your father who is in secret. And your father who's in secret will reward you. So he says in that space, like, don't esteem yourself. Don't be esteemed by others. And don't exaggerate the cost of what it means to actually have devotion for God. Those might be some hooks for us of what he's engaging with, right? How do you see yourself? How do you want to be seen by others? And are you exaggerating what you're actually doing and what it actually costs you? Those are some windows into this 
invitation. And it's really an invitation into what the Puritans called living a light of an audience of one, living like you had just one audience, that, that you weren't trying to justify yourself, you weren't trying to get other people to justify yourself, you weren't trying to get stuff on the outside to be exaggerated so you looked amazing. You simply were asking, hey, God, how do you see me? Where are you in this? What are you trying to do inside of me? And that being your top priority. The discipline of hiddenness says, I live my life in the presence of God, and his attention, his affection, his approval is my primary goal, which would free us from rounding off corners and exaggerating. It would would free us from that residue of like one-upping each other. It would free us from the constant desire to compare and compete. It frees us actually just to sit still in who God has made us to be, right? To cultivate a habit where we're mindful of the audience of one that we have. And here's the deal. This is a pattern throughout the scriptures. Think about Moses' life. One of the kind of great heroes, right? What is he like? Top five saints in the scriptures. Dude spends 40 years in obscurity in the desert, hidden. We don't know much about his life, but, but God is actively at work in those places. Think about David. He's anointed as king, which we're like, all right, man, that's a big public role. And the next thing that happens is he is exiled, and he spends years hiding and on the run in caves. And most of the Psalms are written with his wrestling with God in the hidden places, in the secret places. Think about Jesus. It's 30 years of obscurity before we see him doing ministry, right? Jesus even lived his life in these hidden places. He's often away praying. There's a big scene. People want to make him king, and he removes himself and hides away from them, right? There's this space even where Jesus doesn't just call us to this, but he practices it and is our example. The biblical example is that God cares about what happens in the hidden places because that's the place that you're actually formed. You're not formed in a handful of spectacular moments in your life. You're actually formed in these hidden places, and what happens in those private places determines what you do publicly. That, that's the idea. But if you flip that and want to be seen publicly for what you don't have privately, it's what Jesus calls hypocrisy. And again, you hate it in somebody else, but man, the shortcut there is just so dang intoxicating. It's a simple call to a quietness about you, not not, not being famous, not being recognized, not, not being influential. It's not about kind of the results. It's about the motivation. It's about why you do what you do. Right? And in that space, it's a call to a hidden life that cultivates something that only God can see, believing that when that happens, what other people see gives God glory. Right? This illustration of salt and light is fascinating. I just thought for a second. So Jesus says that we should be salt and light. But the goal of salt is not so that somebody tastes something and goes, dang, that is super salty. That's not the goal. The goal is they taste it and go, oh, that tastes really good. The goal of having lights on is not that you walk in and go, oh, man, it's so bright in here. The goal is to have lights on so that when you walk in, you can actually see. The salt and light serve another function, right? The goal is not to draw attention to the salt or draw attention to the light. That's kind of what Jesus is saying. Right? This is not in contrast to what he says in chapter 5, that we should be a city set on a hill that other people see. Because what he says is when they see your saltiness and see your light, they'll be drawn to give God glory for what is happening inside of you. 
which is quite a bit different from you getting glory and building your own resume that we all just simply long for. Hey, we should just own, like, the world we live in is maybe even built around the idea of you cultivating an image, of you curating an identity for yourself. It determines what you buy, where you go, where you live, what schools you go to, what your vocation is, how you treat people, what you read, what you watch. All of those things are carefully put in front of you as an invitation to curate an identity. Are you the kind of person that does these kinds of activities, who knows these kinds of things, who engages in this kind of practice? Even when it comes to acts of charity and things that are, are good things, there are often attempts at simply just cultivating a, a self-image. So Jesus is cautioning us and inviting us into something different, and it is this hidden life uh, of secrecy. Again, not in shameful ways, but in ways behind closed doors God cultivates something deep in us. Okay, so that's the warning and the invitation. And then we should just say, like, why? Like, why do that? What's the, what's the deal? Well, he uses this word reward throughout the section. So go back up to verse 1, right? Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. That's the warning. Because then you'll have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Christianity actually motivates us to reward. So to think about not just this life, but the next life, to think about the deep things that you long for actually being satisfied. Christianity is not so much about denying yourself as it is engaging in what will ultimately satisfy you. Jesus is not intending to take away from you as much as he is to give to you what will ultimately satisfy. So Jesus says in this space, hey, stop and just think about reward for a moment. And compare reward, compare the temporary reward of people around that water cooler when you one-up their story and they go like, dude, I wish I'd have had that vacation. That's it. That's the reward. That's the thing. And if you live for that, you know how unsatisfying it is. It's like trying to quench like your hunger with junk food. It just actually makes you more hungry after the sugar crash, right? There's a quick hit, and then immediately you're right back to where you started. And then when we go after these quick hits of someone else approving of us, it actually never fully lasts. So Jesus talks about a deeper kind of reward from your father. And it's not like uh, something that's dirty or something that like you should be ashamed of to want your father to reward you. Just stop for a second. Like to live in this audience of one, he's the one who's like praise and approval I'm after. To have that from him, to have him say to me, well done, good and faithful servant, is the kind of reward that I'm longing for. That's not um, immature, it's not selfish, or it's not that you building your own ego. It's actually what you're designed for, to be connected to God in ways that he actually sees you. So there's some things that are fascinating about this for me. He says in the first illustration about giving that God is the one who's, who's in secret. You give in secret, and the God who sees in secret will reward you. So God sees behind closed doors. But when we get down to verse 6 and in verse 18, he says something a little bit different. He says that God is the kind of God who is in secret. You see that in verse 6? But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door. Pray to your Father who is in secret. And your Father who sees in secret will reward you. All right, so we should ask, what is the reward? And he starts with God himself. The reward is actually God. And he wants you to know, hey, God is the kind of God who is in secret. He is omnipresent. He's everywhere. You're never not in his presence. And he sees 
in secret. He is omniscient. So what he's doing in a real subtle way is comparing what you're asking to satisfy your soul to the limited things that a human could give you to the omnicompetence of God to satisfy and engage with you with his omnipresence, with his omniscience, with his omnipotence. He's the kind of God who, who is already in secret. He is everywhere. If you're trying to live and to impress somebody, I mean, that's the one that you want to impress. And he sees everything. I mean, you can deceive all of us. You can deceive your family. You can deceive your spouse. You can deceive your parents' kids. But you can't deceive God, right? He's the one who sees everything. So Jesus goes after God's omnipresence and God's omniscience to kind of ratchet up for you. Hey, think about who is this one that you're getting the reward from, right? It's him, having him as the reward. Heaven is surely the reward. Living in the kingdom of God is the reward. But think about what you're longing for when you're with people and you tell that story or show off that thing. When you do your good deeds in order to be seen, what are you asking for? Isn't it some kind of like affirmation? Okay, we see you, we acknowledge you. And some sort of like acceptance, like some sort of, hey, welcome in, right? We, we want you to be with us. So there's this affirmation and there's this acceptance. And I thought about those two categories. My mind went to Matthew 25 where Jesus tells this parable of the stewards and the talents. And he says the king goes away on a long visit. He gives five kind of units or talents to one servant. He gives two to another and one to another. He goes away on a long journey. They invest those and multiply them. The king comes back to get a count. And what it says is that he comes to the one who gave five talents to, and he had taken those five talents, and he had invested them and stewarded them and multiplied them and made five more, so now he has ten. And the master says to him, well done, good and faithful servant. Affirmation. Enter into the joy that's been prepared for you. Acceptance. What Jesus is saying is that the very thing you long for, that you're designed for, of affirmation and acceptance, God is the only one who can actually give that to you. You live in a world of competing rewards. And we're so designed for that quick hit, for the easy thing, for the thing that actually will get eye service from other people. What Jesus is calling us to is to think deeper about what your soul actually longs for because that human in their limitations could never give you what you actually long for and desire. But in contrast, here's God. He's in the secret already because he's everywhere. And he sees what happens, not just behind closed doors, but out in public as well. He sees all that as well, and he's able to reward you. So what's the motivation? It's, it's reward. So think about retirees. Think about how you spend your day. Think about the, the crisis you had your first day after you were no longer at work. And you wonder, man, I've been for 40 years building my identity in this office. Now, what do I do? What if you could hear the soul-comforting words that the God who sees everything is there in your living room or on your walk or on that trip or on that phone call or over those emails or in those spaces where you sit and just feel lost, that God himself is actually there. When you're alone in your home, God is there. Children, when you wonder, like, what contribution, what's your future, it's like nobody sees you, you spend time by yourself in your room and you want to play with somebody and they don't return that and play with you and you just kind of wonder, hey, does anybody see me? Hear the good news that God is omniscient and he's omnipresent. He knows you and he sees you. And he's watching what's happening 
behind those closed doors. He knows what you need. You're never really by yourself. So that grind you have, kids, to be seen by your peers, to wear the right kinds of clothes, to do the right kinds of things, to be up on the right kind of YouTube shows that you can talk about and joke with with your friends, and all those spaces, all your friends could give you is something really limited. What God offers you in the secret places, even as a child, is affirmation and acceptance of who you really are. Workers who, whether it's a stay-at-home mom, or it's a doctor, or it's a nurse, or it's an engineer, or it's a teacher, or it's an artist, whatever your work is. In those spaces, think about the ways that you're tempted to present yourself one way in order to be seen. And you want to do a good job, but there's a subtle temptation between doing a good job and being seen as the kind of person who does a good job. And those can actually have different effects. To do things to be noticed by your boss or noticed by your coworkers might actually not lead you to do what's best in those spaces. So think about in your job and in your vocation what it means that God sees you, that he's there. He's already giving you affirmation and acceptance. It cuts against what the scriptures would call like living for eye service. So Colossians 3 is a passage that we're trying to find kind of true north from in a church. It kind of frames for us what it means to be a disciple. And he talks in that space about, about not doing things for eye service with people, but do them as unto the Lord, knowing he's the one who sees you and he will reward you. Because here's the deal. The power for that affection from other people and affirmation of them is actually broken when we cultivate a heart that lives for an audience of one in secret places. The, the insatiable desire you have to impress and to be seen, to have this eye service and people recognizing you and affirming you, the power of that, the allure of that is actually broken in those hidden places. It's what disciplines do. The spiritual discipline of secrecy actually starts to retrain our heart to what is most important, right? So why, why engage in this? There's a reward from the Father and there's a release from the tyranny of eye service that has driven you from the time you could actually have consciousness as a child. Your whole life has been lived trying to please and impress and get affection from other people. And what Jesus wants to say is it's in those hidden places that that actually begins to unravel and the power of that begins to diminish. I read some Dallas Willard this week on this discipline of secrecy, he calls it, this discipline of hiddenness. And he says this, he says, few things are more important in stabilizing our walk of faith as this discipline. In the practice of secrecy, we experience a continuing relationship with God independent of the opinions of others. The spiritual disciplines are practices that we use to deal with the habits of, of what we used to do before we came to faith in Christ. For example, it takes discipline to overcome the presence of anger and contempt in human life. Basically, discipline is a voluntary activity in your power that makes possible for you to do something that you can't achieve by your own direct effort. You do something as a discipline to practice something that you actually need, he says. They are activities within your power that you, that you do that enable you to do what you can't otherwise do by direct effort. So the idea of like sitting secure, you can't just make yourself secure. You practice sitting with God and receiving his attachment and love and affection for you so that you are secure other places. And so he gives an illustration. He says, think of the person who practices a musical instrument or tries to master a sport. They discipline themselves with these techniques or these drills or these scales in music, not because they want to play that scale so perfectly, but because they actually long to play music beautifully. And they know these are the 
building blocks of that. So they discipline themselves with these scales and these techniques and these drills, not because you're going to run that drill on the field or because you're going to play the scale at the concert, but you have to do those so that when it's time to actually engage on stage, you can perform. As an illustration of what he's saying is, is in those secret places where you stop and say, God sees me, therefore I don't have to be seen by others. God accepts me, therefore I don't have to strive for the acceptance of others. God actually is already here in this space, and so my fear of being alone, I've practiced having that met by the presence of God so that I'm not insatiably drawn to please and impress other people. And it grows a kind of desire in you, right? It grows this idea when you give stuff away and secretly that God is your treasure. It grows inside of you when you pray secretly that God is the thing that you're longing for and communing with him is what your soul desires. And when you fast in secret, it trains your soul that God is the one that you're hungry for because the world screams at you any number of other things that would satisfy your heart. There's a discipline of secrecy that Jesus is calling us to as a father. If you've ever heard a sermon about that or ever considered that, consider your life and your rhythms. Think about just last week. Where were there places that you intentionally did something that nobody would see or know about? And again, not in shameful ways, not things that you, you're hiding on your internet history, but, but things that you actually did that were good, soul-cultivating things that you did knowing nobody would ever see them, and you still engage them with a full heart, knowing that God saw and rewarded, that his affirmation and his acceptance were enough. I think this is the kind of thing that we live into for a decade. If you're right now in this space going like, I'm kind of interested and that doesn't really make sense, I have no examples of that, hey, I think that's okay. I think it's the kind of thing that we want to take some baby steps towards and plant some seeds over the next couple of weeks to go, hey, God's the kind of God who accepts you and affirms you. He welcomes you. Can you sit in his presence so that you feel loved and accepted? And that actually changes you, not tomorrow, but over the long haul. Which there's just kind of a comfort to the long play that God has for us from the places where you just feel frustrated and overwhelmed and full of shame, wishing you were different or better. Surely by now, whether you're 50, 60, 70, or 14, you always say, surely by now I should be over this. What God's inviting you to is the long relationship of transforming you, where he actually is helping you engage in the kingdom of God and stepping away from the kingdom of self. All right, so let me, let me just give you some applications. If you're taking notes, I worked up an acronym. All right, so here's the acronym is HIDE. Huh? So discipline of hiddenness. Let me give you four things that you'll never forget because your pastor put it in an acronym. H, have regular times in secret with God. It's the proactive thing, right? You don't just throw a switch publicly. You cultivate something in private. So, so the way that you apply something like this is to have regular times that are in secret with God. Right? Jesus says, hey, go into this little closet, go into this inner room, and in that space, cultivate a longing for God through prayer. Have regular times. Even just this week, would you just maybe think about one or two 20-minute blocks where you could just be alone, nobody would see, you get up early, you stay up late in those spaces, you don't tell somebody what you did, you just simply stop and engage and have regular times in secret with God. You're cultivating something in the shadows, not in ways that bring shame, but in ways that transform you. So that's the H. I invite others to see what you would rather hide from them. 
This is about confession. Invite others to see what you don't want seen. Things that you're trying to build a reputation that you're such and such kind of person. And here's the deal, friends. You would rather be known as the kind of person who's pure than actually be pure. You'd rather be known as the kind of person who's generous than actually be generous. You'd rather be known as the kind of person who's reliable than actually be reliable. There's a way that we cut against the drive to build an identity when we put our cards on the table and say, hey, there are places of inconsistency in my heart. If you're trying to cultivate a kingdom of self that impresses people, letting them in on the inside of where you're struggling begins to kill that false idol of building a reputation for yourself that could never actually satisfy so the I is to invite, invite your spouse, invite an accountability partner, invite somebody in our church, invite somebody in your family, invite somebody at work, invite somebody to see where you struggle. So you don't love being seen a certain way than actually doing the thing that you're longing for. Right? So invite some sort of accountability, some sort of seeing. So have regular time, invite others to see what you'd rather not have them see. D, do things in ways that people can't See, hey, it would be so fun this week for you to think about the thing that you most want to be known for and then creatively find a way to do that thing in a way that nobody would ever know. That's a fun assignment. Think about the thing that you long for, that you're like, man, if I'm going to aspire to be somebody and be known, what I want on my tombstone, what I want said at my funeral, that thing that you most respect about somebody else that you want to be true about you, would you do that thing Jesus says, do, do acts of righteousness, right? Go ahead. It's not about not doing. It's about doing, but do in such a way that people can't actually see it. And we have mixed motives, right? Do I want to be seen or is this really from my own heart? And I would say it's like when in doubt, take the hidden route. There you go. How about that? Hey, when you're wondering, hey, do I want to be seen here? Is it okay to let somebody know this? Hey, when in doubt, don't tell them. There was a dude who's preaching at the church this morning. And I was going to send him a text telling him I was praying for him. And I had this thought of like, do I just want him to know that I'm the kind of guy who is praying for him while I'm preparing mine? You know what? I'm not going to send that text. Well, when in doubt, take the hidden route in that space. Like do things that you want to be known for, but do them in ways that people can't actually see. And this is the kind of thing that gets cultivated in your heart over and over and over again that begin to change and transform you. But, but it's a discipline, right? It's something you have to actually stick with. So I borrowed my brother's P90X DVDs in December. Guess how many times I have done those workouts. My, my before and after photos look pretty dang similar now that it's July. In fact, actually my after photo may be worse than my before photo. Right? I think I did, I've done one third of one workout in the last seven months. All right. So, so my frustration with P90X not working isn't because of some deficiency in that discipline. It's actually that I've not engaged it. Okay, is it possible that your frustration with being satisfied in God or seeing like the relationship with him being more meaningful or actually engaging in places where you're praying and it not feeling like it's doing much for you, is it possible that like my P90X episodes, you've done a third of one exercise every so often and you're frustrated with it? to do things that you want to be known for, but do them in ways that nobody would ever know, actually cultivate something deep inside of you that in a decade will, will actually begin to transform. Right? Which actually honors you, to be honest, 
Because if it was like a, you just one and done, you do it, quick fix, it would say either like it wasn't that important or, or you were just foolish your whole life. This is something that's actually deep and tied to your humanity. God wants to transform you over and over and over again. So the D of hide is to do things that you want to be known for, but do them in ways that other people will never know about. And then the E is to keep, sorry, eternity in mind. The E is to have eternity in mind, this reward that Jesus says to us, right? The kingdom of heaven is this reward. He is the reward. Keep that in mind in those moments where you're tempted to live in an audience of any number of people in front of you to stop and say, God, you are the one who will satisfy my soul. Eternally, you will satisfy my soul. And I get to taste that now in some small ways. Think about that old song that says to turn your eyes upon Jesus to look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. There's something about looking to eternity that the New Testament is constantly motivating us for, this great reward for the race run that outweighs the temporal quick fix at the water cooler or on the email or in the conversation or in the bragging or in the being seen. That has something deep inside that actually grows you. Hey, when you do that, when you keep eternity in mind, it refocuses you and it actually rests you. It refocuses you on what's most important and it rests you on what God has actually already accomplished for you in Christ because no human could give you that eternal security and you know that. So constantly having the habit of thinking about this audience of one and what he's provided for you to keep eternity in mind actually rests you, which is why we take communion every week. To remember what Christ has already done, to remember what he's already accomplished for us, and from that place to actually stand and engage. Hey, I long to be a faithful church. I I don't care if we're an influential church. I don't care if we're a famous church. In fact, those things will probably get in the way of us being faithful. What I want us to be is a faithful church, and I think we'll be faithful as a church when we as individuals cultivate hidden things in ways that actually we stand before God in his presence is what satisfies us, I think that actually cultivates something deep that that changes and transforms us. So I want to invite you to that with me. It's a decade, but let's take some steps. Um, And you have an acronym now that you can engage with. Hey, so all joking aside, communion, we take it every week as a discipline. It's been now seven months as a church that we've been taking communion every single Sunday. And what we're doing every single Sunday is remembering what Christ has done for us because that's the invitation into his acceptance and his affirmation. So we have nothing to prove so we can actually sit with him in those quiet places. And where you feel shame and overwhelmed, hearing that he's already satisfied that actually lets you be in his presence without you being scared or insecure or overwhelmed because he's already paid for all the things that would keep you from him. If you trust Christ in his broken body and shed blood for you to forgive you and cleanse you of all unrighteousness, In that space, now you can be in his presence without judgment. You can be with him as a daughter and as a son, which is a safe, beautiful place to be, which Jesus says, and that is your reward. So for Christians, I invite you to take communion. We have these little cups. If you missed them, there's some in the back, and there's also some here in the front. There's a little wafer that represents the body of Christ that was broken for you, and a little cup of juice that represents his blood that was shed to give you identity. Let that refocus you and rest you. If you're not a follower of Jesus, man, I'm so thankful you're here. Would you hear this morning that God's the kind of God who's after your heart? 
doesn't need you to perform for him. He actually wants to change you, and he's done for you rather than you do for him. Maybe this morning you would trust him. Maybe this morning you would put your hope in him. If, if that's you, if you're ready to trust his sacrifice for you to make you right with God and to cleanse you of all unrighteousness, take communion and let's talk about it afterwards. If you still need some time to pray, there's prayers in the back of your bulletin that will give you some language to talk to God. You can just sit and pray. I'm really thankful you're here. Take time to engage with God. But if he's inviting you this morning to trust him, trust him. And then we can talk about that and celebrate it. So let me just pray for us, and then we'll take communion, and then we'll sing together again. Jesus, thank you for who you are and for what you've done. Thanks for the ways that you love us. Thanks that you care about the secret places of our heart. Thanks that you actually long to meet us there and transform and change us there. And thanks that you've already done all the work to make that possible. So now we just get to be with you. We get to be transformed and changed in your presence. We just get to cultivate this idea in the shadows and the hiddenness and behind closed doors of our acceptance and your affirmation of us. God, would you change us in that space? I pray even as we taste these reminders of your broken body and shibla, but even now you invite us to those hidden places where we can come away with you and be nourished and satisfied. So bless my friends. Help those who are struggling with faith. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. you for joining us online. Leewood Baptist Church exists to glorify God by making disciples of all nations. For more information about us and our ministry, please visit us at www.leewoodbaptist.com.